Yes, hallelujah. Jess, you're the teacher this morning. You better hurry up or they're going to all beat you to there. And who knows what will be going on by the time you get there. <laughs> awesome. Well, Father, we just thank you for the time we've already had this morning. And now we turn our attention to your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word is alive, that it's quick and it's powerful. It's able to divide between what are my thoughts and what are your thoughts. And, Father, this morning we seek your thoughts, your intentions, and your desires so that we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so, Holy Spirit, we thank you for revelation knowledge. Knowledge today in Jesus' name, we receive it, and everybody says, Amen. Well, we're going to continue on in our series on the book of Colossians, and I'm having a lot of fun with this. That when I, when the Holy Spirit dropped it in my heart that we were going to start the year this way, I was thinking like four weeks, you know, a, a, a week a chapter. There's only four chapters, and here we are, week six, and we're not even through chapter one yet. And I don't apologize for that because there's so much good things to pull from the book of Colossians. And I was thinking about it over the years. We've done lots of series and lots of messages on the Ephesians prayers in chapter 1 and chapter 3, but I don't think we've ever had a whole series where we took the Col Paul's prayer for the Colossians in chapter 1 and broken it down. Usually it's the one that gets referenced as like the side note, but no, we're taking time to focus in on it and understand what Paul was praying because when, when it, prayers are not just useless, wasteful words, right? No, Prayers are, are expressing Paul's desire and God's desire through that prayer because he's praying through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? He, he just said, he said to the, the, the Colossians in chapter 8, he said, Epaphras told me about how you guys love the things of the Spirit, so here I'm going to pray. Why? Because he knows that the Holy Spirit will stir up what it is they need. And what he prays, though there may be distance in the natural, there's no distance in the Spirit. You can be praying for something through the power of the Holy Spirit and impacting things on the other side of the world, impacting things in the future that you've not even stepped into yet. And so there's power in prayer. And when we pray, and here when Paul's praying for the Colossians, he's expressing his desire. The desire of the Holy Spirit is being released, and then it expresses expectation. Paul says, when this happens... This is what's going to come as a result or a consequence of that. When you pray, things happen. And so Paul starts in verse 9, which is where we'll start again today. He says, for this reason, we also, since we, the day we heard of it, we don't cease to pray for you. And we ask that you be filled with all the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So here's Paul's desire and the desire of the Holy Spirit. Let them be filled with all the knowledge of your will, God, in all wisdom and all spiritual understanding. And then he, we last week we looked at the chain reaction, or you could say the snowball effect that Paul expected to happen because of that. When you understand and you know the will of God for you, it should change things in your life. It should change what your expectations are. And so Paul says, once you're filled with all the knowledge of his will, it says that you may walk worthy of the Lord. Meaning having an understanding of the will of God, what his desires and his intentions are for you. Through the general will of God, which is his word, or the specific will of God that comes through the leading of the Holy Spirit. He says, when you understand that, it begins to change the way you walk. Come on, do you know that sometimes your mood changes the way you walk? 
You know, people that are happy, they kind of walk into the room, they got a little skip. You know, other people who come in and they're having a rough day, it's like, uh. no, when you understand the will of God, it changes the way you walk. And it says that you begin to walk worthy of the Lord. Understanding the will of God changes how you walk, how you talk, and what you'll settle for. Sometimes as Christians, we're just settling for less than God's best for us because we've been indoctrinated by religion. Well, well, that's just what God wants. No, what God wants is his word. What his word says about you is what he wants for you. And when he said you'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the field, well, why should we have an expectation of I'm going to suffer in the city and I'm going to suffer in the field? No, I'm blessed. I'm empowered to increase wherever I may be. Whether I'm in the city or out of the city, it doesn't matter what I am. The word of God says that I'm going to be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. So why would my expectation be the one I'm going to be the one that's coming up short? Amen? You know, it's like, it's fun when, when you're getting to raise little kids, right? Because you get to set these expectations on the inside of them that maybe we weren't raised with. I was raised in a great family where they, they taught us to expect God's best in everything. And so whenever my kids have things that they're trying out for, we say, you're going to do your best, but we're going to pray and we're believing that you're going to be the one that makes it. You're going to be the one that excels because whether the Holy Spirit has to come upon you and you do supernaturally, better than what you can whatever it is I have an expectation you're going to excel don't enter a situation with a with a defeated mentality of well this is probably not going to work out then why bother doing it if it's not going to work out why waste your time no, we step into things knowing, no, God takes hold with me and that I'm going to change the way I walk, I'm going to change the way I talk, and I'm going to change what I'm willing to settle for, and I will settle for God's best and nothing less. If God has called you and told you this is what I need you to do, don't settle for anything else. You press through. That, that's what I'll do because that's where his empowerment is. So it says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience with long suffering, with joy. And here's where I want to start today in verse number 12. It says, and giving thanks to the Father. Let's just stop right there. Giving thanks to the Father. It should be no surprise that this is where Paul's prayer about the will of God finds him. It should not surprise us that this is where he ends up. Why? Because Paul told the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you. So it's, it's just no surprise that in the midst of this prayer about the will of God and what happens from the will of God, that Paul says, let's give thanks to the Father. Amen? And so there, if there's no thanksgiving rising up on you, I, I'd, I'd wager to say that you're focusing on things other than the will of God for you. Because the will of God will always lead you into thanksgiving. Well, I don't have anything to be thankful about. You just took a breath, didn't you? Be thankful for that. You woke up this morning. You got out of bed. You had your cup of coffee. You had a roof over your head. You had clothes to put on. There's things to be thankful. Change your perspective. In everything, give thanks for this is the will of God. But he says, giving thanks to the Father. It's good to just say, Father, I'm just so thankful. I'm thankful for what you've done in my life, and I'm thankful for what you're doing right now, even in this season of my life. Man, God is always working on your behalf, and sometimes we're working harder to stop our blessings 
Come on. No, he's always working on your behalf, behind the scenes, preparing things. As Paul said, you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works that you should walk in them. Meaning God's got things prepared. He won't make you walk in them, but they're there for you to walk in. Man, I love that Jerry Savelle used to always say, he's like, every day there's the blessings of God are passing you by. Which ones are you going to reach up and grab by faith? Because they're there. Amen? It says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. And as I was reading through Colossians again this week, just preparing for this weekend, I, I, that word qualified began to just pop out at me. And as we've read it the last few weeks, we've been focusing on being partakers of the inheritance. But it first says that the Father who has qualified us. You've been qualified by the Father. Not by your works. Not by your goodness. but Not by your badness. You've been qualified by the Father to be a partaker. And I was thinking about that word qualified. And just because you've qualified for something doesn't mean that you'll walk in it. There's some things that are necessary. One, you have to accept that which you have been qualified for. You know, this year of 2024, we have the Summer Olympics coming up in uh, Paris, I believe it is this year. And leading up in that last year and into this year, there's qualification processes going on, right? There's other events happening to qualify athletes for those Summer Olympics. What happens after they qualify, though? They need to say, thanks, I accept that invitation, and I plan on showing up to compete. And when the Lord has qualified you to partake, the first steps necessary is, yes, Lord, I receive that which you have qualified. Well, how do you receive? By faith. Paul said that as you have begun in Christ Jesus, so continue in. How did you begin? Father, I received the provision of Jesus and what he's done for me. I believe that he died for me and you rose him from the dead. And I believe he stands in glory on my behalf. I believe he's my savior. I received it and I declared it. Come on, isn't that how you got saved? The Romans chapter 10 says that with the heart man's believes and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. How did you receive salvation? By believing something in your heart and declaring it with your mouth. How do you accept the qualification to partake? You believe it in your heart and you declare it with your mouth. What have you been confessing over your life? Oh, it seems like every door is shut in front of me. No, there's a way that has been made for me. God has made a way where there seems to be no way. He's got open doors before me. And just like Paul said, pray, pray for me that there'll be doors of utterance, doors of opportunity. Why? Because the door, the Lord opens doors that no man can shut. And so the first step of being qualified is you have to accept that which you've been qualified for. You know, a number of years ago, I believe it was before COVID, I was getting telemarketer calls from my bank almost every day. And I'd pick it up and it'd be like, you have been qualified for a new line of credit. Well, you know, I don't have that line of credit because I didn't receive it. I didn't accept it. Why? Because I didn't need it and I didn't want it. And finally, I had to, I had to tell them, stop calling me. I do not want your line of credit. 
I don't care. Why? Because they're wanting to sell you debt so that they can make money off of you. And so they kept saying, you are qualified. Well, it doesn't matter how qualified you are unless you accept. And so the Father has qualified you to be a partaker of the inheritance. Do you accept? It's, it's like a, a Mission Impossible there. He listens to the message. This is your mission should you choose to accept it. This is your blessing should you choose to, to accept it. This is what you can partake of if you choose to accept it. Amen? So you have been qualified. And don't let the enemy talk you out of your qualifications. God said you were enough because he made you enough. He's made you to be a partaker of the inheritance in the saints and the light. Okay, verse number 13, which is where we left off last week. It says in verse 13 that he has delivered us from the power of darkness, and he has conveyed us into the kingdom of his son, the son of his love. And from this point on, the narrative of Paul's prayer begins to shift. It is no longer about the will of God. It's no longer about the Father. He begins to pray what is called his Christology. And what is Christology? It's his theology concerning Christ Jesus. And this is the, the, the most complete listing we see from the Apostle Paul, where he's, he goes on for several verses and tells you what Jesus is, who he is, what he has done for you. Because it's good for you to know those things so that you're not deceived. Come on. There, there's teachings out there that, it, it's, uh, that there is no Father and there's no Holy Spirit. It's just Jesus only. I remember a few years ago, some guy showed up here. Well, and I, I don't remember what I was preaching on that day. But after the service, he came up and he like slammed a book at me. and was like, you need to read this and then stormed out. And I opened it up and it was all about how there's only Jesus. There is no Father. There is no Holy Spirit. Hogwash. It just told us in the verse before that the Father has qualified us, and now it's talking about the Son of His love, who is Jesus. Come on, like I don't know how you can think that it's just Jesus. Well, look at Jesus' baptism. The Father spoke down out of heaven, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And He spoke it over His Son, Jesus, who was being baptized, and the Holy Spirit came down and rested upon Him. There's all three at work in one verse. And so it's, we have to understand proper theology regarding the Godhead. We serve the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the Godhead three in one. And you say, well, how can that be? That just doesn't make sense. Well, you don't ever question the nature of an egg, right? When, when I say, tell my kids, okay, grab me an egg out of, the, out of the fridge, they bring me the egg. But in that egg, we've got a shell. We may call it the egg shell, but it's still the egg. We have the egg white, but it's still the egg. We have the egg yolk, but it's still the egg. And all three parts are still considered the egg. And so whether you're talking about God the shell, God the yolk, or God the white, it's all the egg. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Godhead three in one. And so he begins to give his Christology. And the first thing you need to know is that the Father has delivered you from the power of darkness. He has delivered us. Not he's in the process of delivering us or will deliver us. It says he has.
has delivered us from the power of darkness. That is a really important statement for us as Christians to grab hold of because when you talk to some Christians, you almost think that they see the devil as the boogeyman hiding around the corner who they got to be afraid of. You don't need to be afraid of the devil. I love the story of Smith Wigglesworth that in the middle of the night he woke up and his bed was bouncing across the floor and he's like, what is going on? And he looked up and there was the devil standing at the end of his bed and he said, oh, it's just you. Get lost in Jesus' name. And then he said, whoa, whoa, wait. Put the bed back. <laughs> you know, he was not afraid of the devil. And you don't have to be afraid of the devil or the things of the enemy. They are defeated. It says he has delivered us from the power of darkness. In Colossians chapter 2, so one chapter from here, this is what it says. That Jesus, having disarmed principalities and powers, disarmed them. Meaning whatever weapons they had, they no longer have. Come on. That's what it means to disarm. If Toph had a gun and I took that gun away from him, he's been disarmed. And so it says Jesus has disarmed principalities in power and he has made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Now, Pastor Wendy was already picking up on some of the things while she was praying. I was like, stop praying my message. Just shut up and sit down. We'll get to that. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. But she was talking about how we are triumph. We triumph in Christ Jesus. Well, when we think of the word triumph, we think it through our modern context of to triumph means to win. But we're talking to people who are living under a Roman mindset and a Roman society. They had conquered all the known world of that area, right? And so for the Romans, a triumph was something very different than just a victory. And so what would happen is they would come into an area, they would usually have a big battle between whoever held that area, and when they won, what they would do is whoever was left... After the battle, they, if the king was still alive or the ruler was still alive, whoever it may be, they would bind them in chains and they would parade them and all the leading officials that were left in front of all the people so that the people that were left over knew they are defeated. They are never getting their spot back. And look, we have triumphed over them and we're now making a spectacle of them before you so that you know you're defeated. Don't even try to resist. And so they would have that triumph party when they had won the victory. And then after that, they would begin building a triumphal arch so that the people of that city or that region, they would put it in a high traffic area, usually at a choke point in the city, that would force the people of that city to have to go under that arch. So it would be a constant reminder to them, you're defeated. You have lost. And whenever you think about rising up, remember this arch. We will come back and we will do it again. And so all across, uh, across uh, um, the, the region here of Colossae, there is a lot of these triumphal arches commemorating the battles that have been won. You know, I saw one in uh, when I was in the city of Thessaloniki, and it's right in the center of the city where everyone would have to go through. It's this great arch, and it was for the emperor Gladius, and for when he came through and he conquered the Thessalonians, and he built it so they would remember, you're defeated. You have to understand that was done for the power of the enemy. God made a spectacle of them, and he's triumphed over them, and there's a constant remembrance in them, you're defeated. And so every time they show up and you 
say, no, 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 I will not put up with that in the name of Jesus. They hear that name and they're like, we don't want to mess with him again. Because he conquered them. He went down to death, hell, and the grave, conquered and was victorious over them. And the Bible says he rose up having the keys of death, hell, and the grave. They tried their best and they lost because their best was not good enough. And so we're talking about these things that says he's delivered us from the power of darkness. You do not need to be afraid of the enemy. When he starts peddling his swill before you, you say, no, 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 I do not accept. Get out of here in Jesus' name. Don't put up with what he brings your way. They are defeated. Amen? So it says he's delivered us from the power of darkness, and he has conveyed us into the kingdom of his son, the son of his judgment, the son of his wrath, the son of his disappointment with you, or insert any of these religious ideas that get peddled in so many churches across North America. No, no, no. Jesus is the son of his love. He did what he did because he loved you. It said, for God so loved the world that he gave Jesus, that whosoever should believe on him should not perish, but have everlasting love, and that there be no condemnation upon them. Come on. Jesus is the son of his love. You are loved deeply to the the outermost the love of God cannot be minimized in your life because it's not under your control come on you don't determine how much God loves God determined how much he loves and his love never lets up it never gives up it never fades out it never fails it says first uh, Corinthians 13 says that it keeps no record of wrong against you come on it believes the best of every person come on you don't get to determine how God loves God determined how he loves and Jesus is the son of his love he loves you deeply and eternally and it will never give up it will never let up and so Jesus is the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We have been redeemed. And I gave the example last week if you go to the grocery store and you, you're, you're ringing up all the items and you see the total going up, going up, 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 up. And it, what then Jesus brings out his coupon and says, paid in full. The Bible says that if God did not spare his only son, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You have been redeemed through his blood, and we have the forgiveness of sins. I like the picture of redemption in Psalms chapter 103. And in verse 1 it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And so David is crying out from his heart, and he's like, I bless you, Lord, with everything that's in me, and I remember what you've done for me. I remember the benefits that you give. I will not forget them. I will not forget any of them. That's what all means, right? The whole package. And he says, who forgives all? your iniquities. Everyone say all. all. All means all. If you see the word all in the Greek or in the Hebrew, there's no messing around with it to make it something. It means all. All means all. There's nothing you can do to make it mean anything else. Who forgives all your iniquities and heals 
all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction. When you just feel like things are about to break apart, and it's like, yeah, this, I don't think she can take much more, Captain. You know, Scotty on Star Trek, and like the, the ship's coming apart at the seams, and you feel like, I can't go any further, I can't take any more. No, he redeems my life from destruction, and I will see it all the way through to the end. He'll be more than able to overcome this. It says, who crowns your life with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who? That's what he sets upon your head. Loving kindness and tender mercies. Hallelujah. And it says he satisfies your mouth with good things. If it's not good, it's not God. If it's not good, you're not done. Keep going. Just like the Bible says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I'm going through. I'm not making camp in the middle of the misery. I'm going through. This, this may be here for a moment, joy, but joy comes in the morning. I don't plan on sorrowing forever. I'm going through. He satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. But that word right there that says, in whom we have redemption. In whom? Through Jesus, we have that redemption. Your redemption is not based upon you. Your redemption is based upon Jesus. Your redemption is not based upon how good you've been or how bad you've been. Your redemption is based upon Jesus. That's why it says, in whom we have redemption. And that's such an important word in the New Testament. You'll see it over and over again, actually over 150 times, where Paul just starts talking about in whom and by whom and through whom and in Christ. And these are so important passages because they talk about who you are because of Jesus and you look better in Christ than you do out of him. So go ahead and accept the fact that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm going to live my life in him we need to take on that mentality that's exactly how Paul thought of himself in 2nd Corinthians chapter 12 Paul talking about himself says I knew a man in Christ a number of years ago and I don't remember if I was in the body or out of the body but God caught me up into heaven and he told me things that I can't even tell you all of them and so it's funny that he said I knew a man in Christ when talking about himself how do you view yourself? Do you, are you a man on this earth? Man or a woman on this earth? Are you a man and a woman in Christ? You need to know who you are because it's in him you have redemption. This is such an important mental shift that you have to take because sometimes when you're witnessing to people, they're like, well, you know, I think I've been a pretty good person. I don't need this Jesus. I've lived a pretty good life. You could live the best life possible. It's still not the perfect life that Jesus purchased for you. Come on. And so it's in him we have redemption. And in him is such an important uh, word to look at. In uh, chapter 3 of Colossians, so just jumping ahead a bit and giving you some previews of other chapters. In verse 3 it says, you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's what Paul said about you. You died. 
When did you die? When Jesus died. Your life was hidden in him. I like how the Passion Translation uh, reveals that a little bit better. It says, your crucifixion with Christ has severed the tie to this life. And now your true life is hidden away in God, in Christ. Your true life is hidden away in God, in Christ. So the sooner you accept your position of being in Christ Jesus, you'll be able to understand and live a little bit better that true life that Jesus has provided for you because it can only be found in him. Amen? So in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And when we read that last week, I said, you know, that we would look a little bit deeper into the extent of that forgiveness. You know, I think some Christians believe they've only been forgiven a little bit. And it seems like they're constantly plagued by their former life before Christ Jesus. Come on, whatever happened before, the blood has been applied. You don't need to live that life anymore. You don't need to live under that guilt and that shame and that condemnation anymore. And here's, here's a little thing for you. The enemy wants you to live in that condemnation. Because if he can get you to live in that guilt, that shame, that condemnation, he can get you to remain and stay where you are instead of stepping in to what God has called you to. And so we are forgiven there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's Romans chapter 8. It says there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The Bible says that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You are forgiven. Say that. I'm forgiven by the blood of Jesus. So let's take a look over at the book of Hebrews for a moment. Hebrews chapter 10. Now when we're looking at Hebrews, I, we, there's no uh, title given to the book of Hebrews as to who wrote it. And so some people say, well, it was the Apostle Paul. Others say, no, no, it's just some other person we don't know. At the very least, the person who wrote the book of Hebrews had a very close relationship with the Apostle Paul. I believe it was him because they say things very similar, and they have a similar outlook on, on uh, what has happened to us in Christ Jesus. And so we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, but I believe it's Paul or a close associate of him. But in chapter 10, verse 15, it says, But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. Or another way of saying that, the Holy Spirit declares and tells us this. That after he had said before, which is an interesting thing. Here's what the Holy Spirit said. He said it before. Now, it's interesting. Why? Because what the whole part of the job of the Holy Spirit is to bring things to your remembrance. And so he says, the Holy Spirit is declaring this to you. I've said this before. Well, sometimes the Holy Spirit's just got to say it again. How many times has he got to say it before we finally grab hold of it and realize, okay, that's how it actually is. And the thing is, he's so loving, he's so merciful, he's so gracious, he'll keep saying it again until you get it. He's not willing to give up. And so the Holy Spirit declares this to us as he has said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days. So speaking of the covenant that we stand in, 
contrast in, the, in this passage of Scripture, he's contrasting the covenant that we live in versus the covenant that the children of Israel lived in. And he says this about our covenant, that he's, he's going to make after those days, the days that we live in, says the Lord, I will put my laws, where? Into their hearts. And into their minds I will write them. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Paul says that we are living epistles with the word written on our heart. You, you are the only Bible that some people will ever read. But the next verse is where I wanted to get to. Verse 17 says, Then he adds, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. So when people choose to live in the remembrance of what has come before, the mess-ups, the screw-ups, the missing the marks, whatever it may be, when you're living in it, you're living in something that God says, I don't even remember. That's how good of work the blood of Jesus did. It washed over and washed away that there would not even be any remembrance in God's eyes. Well, God's all-knowing. Yes, he's all-knowing, and he knows what he knows, and he knows what no longer exists. And what no longer exists is your sin. He washed it away by the blood of Jesus. Come on, I, I can feel some people are like, well, I need another verse on that. Sure, you can have another one. Here, Isaiah, prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 43, God is speaking through him, and he says this, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. And it's interesting. He says it's for his sake, not yours. He's forgotten because he doesn't want to remember. He wants to see you only through the blood of Jesus. It's like he's put on those rose-colored glasses that when he looks at you, all he sees is the blood. What did Jesus do? Well, that's what's been given to you because you're in Christ Jesus. And so he says, I blot out your transgressions for my sake, and I'm not even going to remember them. And then he says something interesting. He says, I won't remember them. And he says, put me in remembrance. But you've chosen to forget God. Right. Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. Why? Because when you bring it up before God, he's like, I don't even remember that. Case dismissed. Come on. He said, you, when you bring it to my remembrance, I'm going to tell you exactly the truth about it. I don't remember. Next case. Let go of it. I already have. Let's move on. Bring another case on the docket. That's a good advocate. <laughs> he's the one who advocates on your behalf. And he says, put me in remembrance of the thing I don't remember, and I'll tell you exactly what you need to remember. You've been acquitted. Okay, back to Hebrews chapter 10. Let's back up a few verses to verse number 1. I told you that in this chapter, the writer is contrasting the covenant you stand in and the law. Well, here's what he had to say about the law in verse 1. It says, for the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of things can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. So under the law, they did sacrifices every year and none of those sacrifices ever perfected them. The sacrifices of the old covenant were just a covering. The sacrifices of Jesus wiped it all away. And so 
They were offered year after year after year, and there was no change of the person. It says, for then would they not have ceased to have been offered? Meaning if they actually did what they needed to do, you wouldn't have had to offer them the next year. But they went over and over and over. And it says, for the worshipers, once purified, would have no more consciousness of sin. Why are we spending time on this? Because the enemy wants you to be caught up in what has happened and what came before and all the shortcomings. God wants you to forget about it so you can move on. He says the worshipers, once purified, should have no more consciousness of those sins. Why? Because God has no more consciousness. He said, I will not remember them. Say, it's forgotten. It says, but in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. Stop reminding yourself. Start glorifying and giving thanks to the Father that I have redemption through the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins. For it says it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins, but... We have redemption through not bulls and goats. We have redemption through the blood of Jesus. The forgiveness of sins. Amen? Hallelujah. So what else does Paul have to say in these last few minutes that we've got here? What does Paul have to say about who Jesus is and his theology concerning Christ? Well, verse 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. Let's, let's deal with the second statement first. That he is the firstborn over all creation. Whenever you say, this is my firstborn, that's an indicator that he's not the only one. Right? If it was Jesus and Jesus only, he would have said, this is my one and only son. That's the only time you hear that terminology is before he gave Jesus. He said, I'll take my one and only son and I'll give him as a sacrifice, as a seed into the ground so that he could be the firstborn among many brethren. And so Jesus was the only son of God before the cross. But after the cross, as many as believed him, to those he gave power, to become the sons of God. And so that's such an important verse for us where it says he's the firstborn because I don't know what number you are, but you're a son and you're a daughter of God with full rights and privileges of children of the kingdom. Amen? You are fully entitled to come boldly before the throne of grace and see Father God, who's now become your father through the sacrifice of Jesus. It doesn't matter how good or how bad your earthly father was. You have a new spiritual father who is good every day. And every good and perfect gift comes down from the father in whom there's no shadow of turning or changing. He never changes his mind and he never has to repent because he says what he says. He means what he means and he does what he does it's finished in Christ Jesus and so he is the Jesus is the firstborn over all creation and you may be child number 10 million nine hundred and a thousand whatever it may be you don't need to know the number you're a son and a daughter of God and it says he is the image of the invisible God do you want to know what father God looks like do you want to know how father God acts and what his character is like, look at Jesus. 
You don't have to wonder what God is like. Jesus is the very image of the invisible God. When he walked on this earth for those 33 years, you can look at his ministry and his life and be like, as God would have done it, that's how Jesus did it. Because God and Jesus were one. And that's why we said, talked about that verse of in Christ. Because Jesus prayed in John 17, Father, just as you and I are one, make them one with us. Amen? And so if you want to know what God looks like, he looks like Jesus. You know, Peter said in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, he said, How God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And so if Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, guess what? That was God's heart on display. He wants to do good and heal all. Come on, should we say that again? God wants to do good and heal all. That's what he does every day because that's what Jesus did. Acts 10, 38. You know, in John chapter 14, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and it will be sufficient for us. It'll be enough, God. Just show, Jesus, just show us the Father. Show us the Father. Well, this is basically Philip not understanding what was going on in the conversation leading up to this. He's like, yeah, 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 okay, Jesus. Just show us the Father and we'll be good. Come on. Have you ever felt like that? Oh, if I could only just talk to God directly. You do through the Holy Spirit. You do through the Word of God. That's God speaking to you. What Jesus said is what God would have said. So he says, show us the Father and it's gonna, that'll be enough. And Jesus said, have I been with you so long and yet you've not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? And so when we read verses like, Jesus was moved with compassion. Why? Because the Father's also moved with compassion. And whatever situation you find yourself in, you need to understand that God is moved with compassion towards you. His arm is not short towards you. His power is not limited. Just the same way that Jesus was moved is the way that God has moved towards you, even right now, today. He says, do you not believe that I'm in the Father and in the Father in me, and the words that I speak to you, I don't speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. Amen? So he is the image of the invisible God, and he is the firstborn over all creation. You know, I've got four boys, as you all know, and it's interesting as they're young how the younger ones imitate the older ones. It's like, oh, Bennett was always like, oh, I saw Harrison do that, so now I'm going to do that. And so I had to say, Harrison, stop doing that. Your brother's copying you. But just like your older brother, Jesus, go ahead and imitate him. Whoo, come on. Go ahead and imitate him. Stretch forth your hand to heal. Go ahead and pray for those around you. Do good to those you come in contact with. Just as you saw your big, big brother Jesus, man, that's what we do too. Because he was the firstborn, and I'm just doing it like he did it. Man, I saw him do it. Ooh, I can do it. Well, I don't know about that, Pastor Jordan. Well, Jesus should take back his words. When he said, the works that I've done, you'll do also. 
and greater than these because I go to my Father which is in heaven. Your big brother Jesus did them, and he said, guess what? You can too. Amen? This is Paul's thoughts on the theology of Jesus, how we should think concerning Jesus. So we need to let our minds just shift. Amen? Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for what he's done and that we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We thank you for the example that he left for us and that just as he did it, so can we. We can just walk into those things and imitate our Father. Just as Paul prayed, he said, imitate me as I follow Christ or as I imitate Christ. And so, Father, we just change our perspective and we lift up our eyes from what's going on around us and we fix them on Jesus, that you said he is the author and the finisher of our faith, that there's things that will be birthed out of Jesus and that can only be finished in Jesus as we fix our eyes upon him. And so right now, Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the work that you accomplished. We thank you for the covenant that was ratified in your blood, that the word says it's a covenant based upon better promises and better things than that which has come before. And so we look at the good things that have happened in the Old Testament and the examples of those people, but we understand that you have called us to even better things through Jesus Christ, who is our Savior, who is our Lord, whose blood has made a way. And so we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Pastor Robin, bring us in for a landing. Oh, praise God. We're going to receive the offering and uh, we're going to do the confession. Well, you can do it that way. Do the online and or envelope in, the, in this seat in front of you, basket at the back. Uh, but we're going to do the, the, the confession. This is my seat confession. And uh, we need to understand that um, we are watering when we plant. We need to water what we plant. And uh, I, I considered several things <laughs> thinking about this this morning as because, you know, I do meditate on what God would want me to do and, you know, as, as forgiving and, and so on. And... Uh, and how we're going to present this. And I got thinking about what you said last week about um, uh, the two different, it was you that said the two different groups of sheep went into the same pen, two different shepherds, and the one shepherd, was that you or was it somebody else? Garnet and Saturday, yes. Okay. See, I'm blending you in with the pastor. You're a preacher, man. Um, so anyway, uh, so you didn't know this the story. <laughs> Obviously, you don't because it was at the men's Bible st study. But anyway, there's two groups of sheep went into the same pen. I'll just I'll give you the justice story. And there's two different shepherds. When the, sh the shepherd, one of the shepherds would call the sheep, hit that their own sheep would come out. And so, because the shepherd, the, the sheep know their, their shepherd's voice, right? Well, it's the same thing with your seed that you plant. It knows your voice. And it needs to be watered with that voice for what you're about to give, what you've already given in the past, and so on. So you keep watering the seed with you, with your voice, because you're, you're the, you know your voice is your own prophetic word to that seed. 
And um, it's like when, when uh, Pastor Wendy will go off on a trip or whatever, and she says to me before she goes, make sure you water the plants. And my suggestion to her always is, you water them before you leave, and when you get back, you probably need to water them again, because I'm not going to remember. But I do like you to remember the fact that you need to water your seeds. So let's, sit, let's water our seeds by saying this, so it hears your voice, your seed hears your voice. This is my seed. I sow it into the kingdom of God. Seed, do what you do best, grow. I sow you to spread the gospel. I sow you to strengthen believers. I sow you to grow, cannot. I sow you to grow, multiply, and return in great supply. Harvest, I receive you. Lack, I resist you. His supply is sufficient. I walk in abundance of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, word care team, please. Come on up here. Hallelujah. So they are available for if you want some prayer or ministry. Amen. In Jesus' name. We have some coffee at the back if you want to stick around and have some fellowship. Amen. You are blessed.